we have to start to figure out how to help people understand that it's not just opening a door and writing a contract. We have to explain the complications to it. Welcome to the Grant Y Show. This podcast helps ordinary real estate agents build extraordinary companies. Let's grow in three, two, what is up? Welcome back to the Grant Y Show. I'm excited for our guest today. And I can tell you, if you're listening to this episode, you're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> We've been having quite a bit of fun in the pre-show, and I know we're going to have some fun as we get into the actual show. Excited for my guest today. So I was on their podcast recently, and I invited them back on. We had a, we had a ton of fun. At least I had fun. I don't know if they did or didn't, but... yeah. No, it was great. Uh, I said, hey, let's go. Let's get on my show so we can keep the conversation going. Parasocial, parasocial, what was the, th- what was the thing you taught us? Yes. It was quite an impactful episode I did, as you, as you can tell by, by him not really knowing what we talked about. No, I was, a, I'm always saying it was fascinating to learn about it. That's the point. <laughs> it's like a made up word. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. Parasocial relationships. We talked about all types of fun stuff. So before we get into that, we've got James Dwiggins, who is the founder and CEO of Next Home, which is quite a remarkable company in the real estate space. Yes. And we have the chief strategy officer. We've got Keith Robinson on the podcast. I was on their show a couple of days ago. And again, like I said, I wanted to keep the conversation going. I know we're going to have some fun today. But before we dive into that, James, just give us the backstory, man. You have your You've got quite a remarkable company now. Next Home is at, I believe, just over 6,000 agents or 6,000 team members uh, throughout the country. And just give us the, the backstory. How did you all get to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, so I'm third generation in the business. My grandfather started his real estate company in 1967 and grew it, ironically, to a very large company in the 70s and 80s. And back then, you know, he had 123 agents in three offices. That was big for then. Um, he was an ERA franchise. I'm willing to bet most people don't actually know ERA stands for Electronic Realty Associates. So he did that. Um, my Both my parents were real estate agents and brokers. I worked for their company when I was very young. Back when I was 18, 19, I worked in their real estate business. And I got involved in the software side of the industry shortly thereafter. Started a couple prop tech companies that I sold uh, the first one in 2001 and the second one in 2006. So I've been both in you know, the real estate office, in tech, and then I got involved in franchising. I went to work for a client after the sale of my second company, um, a company called Realty World in Northern California. It had about 420 offices. It's actually how Keith and I met. He was running a very large uh, Better Homes and Gardens um, organization up here. So we went to the same meetings and shared sorrows and had cocktails together about how great it was in 2008. Yeah, it was 2008. So for those of you who have been around that long, you remember those days? It was bad. At some point, you know, we had this idea that we wanted to start sort of a new progressive, um, fresh, kind of younger feeling real estate brand in the market. And in 2014, we launched Next Home. We ended up buying Realty World from the, from the owner that we used to work for. So we had two franchises that we were now running. Um, Keith came on shortly thereafter. So he's basically a co-founder has been with us since the beginning. Um, and we've grown it to about 630 locations in 49 states. The company does a significant amount of business. We'll do close to 30,000 deals this year um, and, and about 12 billion in volume. So it's a, it's a big organization that does a lot of work. And 
we bootstrapped it. We had no investors. We bootstrapped the whole thing from the bottom up. So um, it's my my co-founder and partner, Tay, um, and I were the original investors into it. And our board meetings are a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best. Just the two of us, which is nice. Um, and, you know, here we are. It's been a, It's been an interesting road. A lot of we wrote it up from 2014 to to about a year and a half ago until the market turned, uh, and it's been a tough year and a half in residential real estate. But we have we're very fortunate that we have a really unique company culture, and we do things a little bit different. And great people that we get to work with every day. So digging in on your culture a little bit, what what is it that makes you all unique, and what is it that feeds that type of growth? Yeah, I mean, I think Keith will have a different answer on this somewhat, but uh, I always like to say that, well, we have a no assholes policy. So let's just call it that. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, a, I'm going to put it bluntly. Like one of the cool things about when you don't have investors is you get to choose what type of organization you want to be. And what I mean by that is we're not, we've always been, a company that has been about people. And so, and I'll let Keith dive in on this because it really originated from him. Um, it's called Humans Over Houses. I'll let him talk about that. But we, we essentially really focus on working with people who care about the consumer. It's not about the number of deals you do. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about your award. It's about how many people that you help. And so we've been very choosy from the beginning about who owns a franchise. And I think the thing when everybody talks about culture and they're like, oh, it can't scale. I'm like, it absolutely can. If you actually just set a foundation of what you want and you're not willing to move away from that. So we've been able to scale this amazing culture from this, you know, baby startup to this, you know, this large business now by continuing to stick by what we believe and, and making sure that we're bringing in people that share the same values that we do. And we turn away a lot of people, not that they're bad, that's not what I'm saying, but we're just, we're protective of what we've built. And that starts with both the leadership team, everybody on our corporate team, which is like one big family, all the way down to our franchise owners and then how they recruit people to their offices. So, and I, I think the humans over houses thing is crucial. I think Keith can talk about that for a second because it's 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 culture part of who we are. Yeah. Well, Keith, before you do, before you do, give us a little bit of your backstory as well. How do you, how do you get to where you are in the organization today, and then dive in to the humans over houses? Absolutely, yeah. Twenty five year residential real estate background. Started representing buyers and sellers. Enjoyed that very much, but missed sort of that small business entrepreneurial startup. Uh, launched an office for an independent. <laughs> it was me, a receptionist, and five thousand square feet of an expensive lease and zero agents. <laughs> <laughs> I do not recommend ever launching uh, an office that way. Uh, but we managed to get to profitability in the first. Sounds like a pressure cooker. Yeah, it was brutal. I mean, it kind of, but I was so naive that I didn't know it was terrible. So I just got to work, right? And started growing it. And, you know, so luckily I was young and dumb. Uh, so that helped a lot <laughs> in that specific one. Then I was an early leadership guy for Keller Williams in Northern California. I was a launch and turnaround guy for them for five years. Uh, at one point in time, I ran the 19th largest real estate company in the nation um, and was actually going to take a break from corporate. Uh, but James is good at what he does. Vision casted what Next Home was going to become. And 
I, it's a very interesting experience to, you don't often get an opportunity to be intimately involved with what feels like it will be something of significance, right? And you can feel the ground swell early. That energy, you were talking about culture and and maybe I'll, you know, that's my background. I'll segue off of that and talk about culture for a second and then wrap it around to humans over houses, unless you have questions about background, but it's boring and no one really cares. So <laughs> um, there's a startup culture that everyone has, right? And so how do you define startup culture? Well, for me, it's accessibility and vulnerability, right? Those are the two characteristics of startups. Everybody's working together, common vision, you're working long hours, you're you're just all in the boat rowing as hard as you can in the same direction. So how do you maintain that as you scale? Well, I don't want to sound oversimplistic, but you just keep being vulnerable and you keep being accessible. And while that might feel different at 620 offices than it did at 60 offices, but the approach is really still the same, right? And so you might use a different vehicle to be accessible. You might communicate slightly different, but still vulnerable, but you have to just lead the best you can without all the answers. Like the beautiful thing about a startup is you just go fast and break stuff, right? And you're sort of fixing the car while you're going down the road and then you get big and there's committees and meetings and, you know, those things matter because you're at scale, but you still just communicate. Even if you don't have all the answers, you share as much as you can you know, unless you sign an NDA or something like that, you just keep being accessible and you keep communicating and magically it still works. It just works a little differently than it did at 600 than it does at 60. And I love it. You talked about, I talked about pressure a second ago and right now the industry is feeling a lot of pressure Yeah, from a lot of different things. I read this quote the other day because I'm reading one of Tim Grover's books right now and it says, not everyone gets the opportunity to be stressed by the potential to achieve exceptional things. And I think that right now, the industry as a whole is stressed by the potential to achieve something exceptional. Like we're going through what feels like change. How are you all leading, guiding, directing your agents. Can we go back to culture? Like this is a big part of this. Like how are you leading people through what we're experiencing right now in this industry? Cause it's not just one thing. It's like a lot of things that are coming at realtors. It's hard for them to stay focused. What are you advising people? Like, what are you, how are you leading people through this right now? It sort of dovetails with what I was just saying, which is on any given problem, we don't have all the answers, but we're not afraid to talk to our membership or say that. Correct. And tell them, we don't have all the answers. Here's what we know today. We promise as soon as we have more information, we will update you. But this is where we are in time and space. Uh, a quick example is, you know, pandemic, right? When that hit, no one knew what the hell was going on. I mean, it was chaos. And we did three webinars a week to our membership. Every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday. Some of them were quick, some of them were longer, some of them were very detailed updates, some of them were, we don't know either, but we're going to try to figure it out together. And we just kept communicating the entire time, as much as we could. And I think too often leaders try to wait until they have a perfect answer or, really, or the right answer, quote unquote, 
or the fog of war has cleared a little bit uh, versus just being vulnerable, right? Being vulnerable and saying, look, we're not sure. This is what we see today. We reserve the right to change our mind and we'll tell you when we do. Yeah, I mean, it. the great example of this, Grant, is what's happening right now with the lawsuits. So we've been communicating and talking about them for two years. And I'm not kidding. Like at our, I remember, I remember I did an entire presentation on it in our summit in Chicago last year on all the cases, breaking them down, concerns, what the outcomes might look like, et cetera. A lot of people were like, yeah, but they're going to win, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, and maybe, but we also want to continue to educate you on them because there's a chance that they won't. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you're like the doomsdayer. You got aluminum foil hat on worried about stuff happening. But our, our approach has always been that over communicate, over communicate, let people be responsible enough to decipher the information, but over communicate. And the best thing I could tell you is our industry has been horrific at communicating about these lawsuits. It's like all of a sudden everyone's like, what do you mean there's a verdict? I don't know. We've been talking about it for two years and like it shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, and then the truth is, and I'm, I'm giving our team props here because we spent two years prepping. And in September, we brought out 420 offices to retrain them on what this will look like post lawsuit with one of the top lawyers in the industry, how you're going to write contracts, what the outcome might look like with the DOJ. So when the verdict happened, our people were like, yeah, we knew that was coming and we're already prepared. Well, everyone else is like running around with their hair on fire. And it's, it's, it's weird to me because I remember having this conversation recently with, with quite a few people. They're like, you know, you shouldn't communicate so much on the lawsuits. You know, you're going to make yourself a target. I'm already a target. Like we're... <laughs> <laughs> everybody's already getting sued. If you knew anything about these things, everyone's going to get named until there's a national settlement. So like, I'm not going to sit there in fear. We're going to help our people understand what to do, how to prepare. And Keith said this today on another podcast we were on. It's like, look, go sell houses, help people do what you do, because a lot of this stuff isn't going to get figured out tomorrow. It's going to take time to do. Be aware learn, educate yourself, but also rates are coming down, go help people find homes. Like, so there, there's just a, it's like this scarcity versus abundancy mindset. And we, we really follow this concept. Like our whole leadership team is aligned on this. We are not afraid to share. We don't come from a, oh, there's only, only us. We took the training program that we've built internally to teach all of our offices how to plan for this. We've been giving it out. If anybody wants it, just email me. I'll give it to you. I don't care. We're all in this together. So like, it's this weird concept of like, it, there's just not, an, there's not enough leadership in our business right now. There's a major lack of it. And there's not enough communication coming down. Uh, we have people that are asking us like, hey, how do I prepare if I get sued? Uh, you know, actually... On my pod, we're interviewing Katie Johnson. Keith and I are on are, are interviewing Katie Johnson from the chief legal officer for NAR. And we're gonna have her explain that. Like there's just they're just I think there's this concept of people don't understand that would they appreciate more information. And the comment that Keith made from a leadership perspective is vulnerability. Like the more you can get vulnerable and people see you as just 
because we are like Keith and I are the most down to earth people possible. Like we're just, we're just like anybody else. Um, people relate to that. They want to be part of that. Um, and there's just, there's too much ego in our business, there's way too much ego. So there's a bit, uh, <laughs> there, there's a bit, which is a whole different topic, I think maybe, but one of the things I love that and if you're listening to this right now, maybe you're an agent or your team, you're like, how does this apply to me? What I love about what they're teaching you here is the, these are principles that you can use to grow your organization over communication is a tool for building trust. You have to build trust in the marketplace with buyers, with sellers. If you're a team looking to recruit agents, like you're really not in a different business. You take the lessons of authenticity, of accessibility, of vulnerability, of communication, and you apply those things to what it is that you do. Principles of business, marketing, advertising, sales, these things don't change. And so you can take what they're telling you right now and you can apply it to how you would use it in your business. And this is something that can really help you transform the way that you are growing. Yeah. Grant, the number one complaint about real estate agents is what? Lack of communication. Lack of communication. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Like, and so often we feel like with our clients, we have to have all the answers and that's not true. You have to know where to go to get the answers. You can lay out for your clients. We are here, right? Think of those, you know, those big maps, right? And then there's a little red arrow. It says you are here and you're trying to get to there. Here's where we are today. This is the path I think we should take. This is the direct, here are the directions we can go. Here are the pros and cons of each one. Which one do you like, client? And to add on to that, by the way, to, so it's related because we're obviously running from a franchise perspective, but the principles, as you pointed out, are exactly the same. If you're a team leader, over-communicate with your team. By the way, they're reading the same stuff you are, and they may have questions. And if you're not answering those questions, what are they going to do? They're going to go somewhere else to get the answers. So like, it, it doesn't matter whether you're a team leader, like if you're running a brokerage, you, you should apply the same principles. And for agents, go to the same concept with your clients. I mean, I love what you were talking about with the parasocial, God damn it. What is it? Para, parasocial. What was it? I just, we just talked about this grant. Para, paranormal activity. <laughs> parasocial relationship. Paranormal, whatever. The point was, which I know what you were saying is the idea of sharing content online on video you're posting all of this content about the market, changes, interest rate, trends, whatever it might be. You don't know anybody that's following you, but people are, they're watching, they're getting to know you, they feel like they know you, and all of a sudden somebody's reaching out, like they're talking to you like you've been best friends for two years and you're like, who the hell is this? Well, because they've been following all the content, you're over communicating. That's the thing is, I just like, when everyone's like, I don't, it was great on the pod when you talked about this because <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I don't know what to say. Pick any question somebody asks you yeah, and make a video. <laughs> like just start, just start somewhere. And like, based upon all the crap we see online, nobody cares if it's professionally produced or not. Yeah. And there's plenty to talk about. Yeah. Putting my marketing and advertising hat on right now, the less produced, the better. Like I'm seeing people build followings up into the hundreds of thousands and they don't even actually like produce anything at all. They take random videos of themselves. Like walking down the trail. Yeah. <laughs> and then they put captions on them and they blow up. Like it's ridiculous how simple it is right, right now. Going back to something that you said a second ago, 
when we're talking about communication, another thing that you've got to factor as an agent, team leader, broker, owner, if listening to this is perception. And when you only ever share your wins, which is what a lot of real estate agents do, what happens is this perception starts to develop essentially like that you're perfect. You don't make mistakes. Your clients all have perfect experiences. That And then how many real estate transactions have you been a part of where everything went right? It's like, <laughs> zero to 1% of the transactions you've been a part of that actually were flawless. Most transactions are train wrecks, like not all of them, but emotionally they are because it's such an emotional experience. And if the only thing that you ever put out socially is how you're crushing it, your clients are happy, they had a flawless experience, it sounds good, but it also sets you up to fail with the next client. Because they're going to look at that and say, why wasn't my experience perfect like you put out on social media all the time? So this vulnerability and actually sharing what's going on in real estate transactions, if you look at these shows and whether you like them or not, Million Dollar Listing, what is this a show of? It is a show that has dramatized the real estate transaction in a way where it's like, Every negotiation is triggering and something's wrong and something's bad and something's broken. But we, you know, the real estate community really starts to like lean into this. Why? Because it's drama, because they're sharing what went wrong, because they're walking through how they made it right. And I think that if you're a realtor that thinks like, well, I've got to live perfectly, like that's a perception. I got to go get the car. And that no, actually you're setting yourself up for failure in a big way when you don't communicate, when you aren't authentic and vulnerable. These are really great marketing lessons, not just, you know, business and life principles. I mean, I agree with everything you've said that oftentimes what people will either do is they only share their wins, right? Social media becomes the sports center top 10 of your day, of your week, of your life, right? And that's not realistic. Those are just the 10 best plays of the day, right? Or you put out a video where you basically just dunk on your clients, right? Not your specific client, but you talk about how, you know, clients never call me back or, you know, the stupid neighbors coming in the open house or those aren't the stories people want to hear, right? Authenticity doesn't mean you only share when you win. Yeah, but people don't even relate to that if it's only a win. Well, it's like we all have that friend who every meal they've just eaten is the best thing they've ever had, right? We all have that friend, right? And you're like, well, I mean, can, is it really the best one you've ever had? Like, <laughs> ever? The la what about the last one? We're on a topic that I would really love to get your take on, especially because of the lawsuits and you all are deeply integrated and involved. But my, top, my question here sur surrounds perception. How do we as an industry alter the perception of our industry? What advice can you give somebody that's like, okay, you need to make this change because society does not view uh, the real estate space as like the best. They get equated a lot of times to use car salesmen and this. And I know that's not everybody because there's wonderful people in this industry, but the perception obviously needs to change. How do we collectively come together and change the perception of our industry? I'll start, Keith, and you can piggyback on this one. So I, I am of the opinion that for the longest time, Coaches and people have talked about sheltering their clients from everything in the trans. It's our job to make sure the client just sees this incredibly smooth thing and it's emotional and we got to, we got to make sure they don't, you know, the, all the details are hidden. 
I'm of the opinion that that's the worst advice on this thing on this entire planet because what happens is people don't know what they don't know. They think that everything is smooth because you haven't talked to them. They didn't see the problems. They didn't see you reading the disclosure package for six hours. They didn't see the conversations with the listing agent. They didn't see the think about the fact you wrote three offers that you know weren't accept. Like I think it's actually the opposite. I believe our industry has to get very good at showing people what it is you're doing while managing those emotions and being a therapist, which we all know realtors basically are. Um, and you know, that to, this kind of ties into your, to what we were talking about before, like, it's not all rosy. Like I, I think, I think society in general, I'm going to tie these two together actually wants authenticity because they're sick of seeing everything looking amazing on social media. I mean, I, I hate social media. I'm going to say it like, it's just, to me, it's just like a total misrepresentation of the planet. Like, yeah, I'm really glad you had a good dinner, but I know that you were fighting with your, your spouse an hour before, like, and everybody sees this stuff. And so, because I think most people are trying to find a way to compare themselves to that, which is unrealistic. They're like, God, my life sucks. Like, I don't, I don't have all these rosy things going on. And it's like, well, it's not because every single person who posted that probably just had a fight an hour earlier and we're all in the same boat. So to some degree, the more often, the more, the more authentic you can be, share the wins, share the losses. Shit, man. I had a deal today that went south. It was a weird circumstance. This is what happened. The buyer didn't tell me something correctly. We lost the, like, I don't know, like share that stuff so that people go, Damn, I didn't realize this was that complicated. Damn, I thought my realtor just like showed a house, wrote an offer, it took them five minutes to do it, and they got paid a ton of money. Yeah, no one's no one's posting the uh, 160 page HOA docs that they're reading for their client, right? Right. They're posting the you know I just pulled up in my white Mercedes for my two martini lunch, right? Now both are good. I understand that part of it is part of social media is showing that aspirational component of your life. Fine. And we should also show them the hard parts and the seriousness of the job because there's a bunch of it that is really serious and a lot of work goes into it, right? Like that 160-page disclosure document that Keith just referenced. It'd be like, man, got a disclosure document today in this complex, went through it. There are like six things that any buyer should know. These are the six things that you should be aware of inside this disclosure document. If you're interested in knowing more about this particular facility, let me know. There's a 30-second clip. There's a two minute clip right there. And that to me is what we have to start doing so that people don't think they see that they see the gross commission check and they're like, oh, my realtor got paid a fortune. I'm like, okay, first of all, they're independent contractors. They have to pay 30% of that to the government. Secondly, they have to pay their own health insurance. Third, they had to do a broker split. Fourth, they have their own operational costs. Fifth, they took you to lunch and all those are expenses paid up front, making sure that you do a deal. They drove around in their own car. They have car insurance. Like, see my point? We don't talk about any of this stuff. So perception is whatever you show them. If you don't show them the details, they're going to think it's different than what it actually is. And I think this is like uh, such a really valuable marketing lesson too. Because I, again, I go back to marketing, advertising, sales, which is my skill set. One of the things you want to remember here, if you're listening to this, is that when you post about your production, you aren't having the effect on the audience that you think that you are. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Oh, don't get me started. Yes, you get a big <laughs> amen from me on this one. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. Tell them. Preach. Preach. Louder for the people in the back.
Marketing is messaging. And what happens when you put out your production is you actually are attracting other agents that want to know what you're doing to have success. You don't do anything but repel the consumer who now just thinks you make a lot of money and don't actually do much because what you are all typically doing is like we're talking about, you're only sharing your wins. You're not sharing your losses. You're not sharing lessons learned. You're not sharing client success, client failure, because you want everybody to think that you're perfect and perceptions reality. So you've got to pay attention to this because if you keep talking about your production, all you're doing is repelling the consumer and you're drawing other agents, i.e. your competition closer to you because they want to know what you're doing to have success that they're not. A great example, by the way, Grant, is like, oh yeah, I listed this home and I put it in contract in two days and we close in five. Yes. Okay. I know that sounds good. And that might be a great idea to say that because a seller's like, I want to sell it fast. But then they're like, damn, what'd you get paid to do all that in five days? Why should I pay it? So, should I, do I need to give you a full commission or should I get a little money back? Let me go. Cause yeah, I'm chomping. I'm chomping. And I know Keith, he's like ready to go on there. Let me go is what he says. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> here's why we touched on it earlier and I'll try to weave the two together is so much of marketing that is done out there is done through the lens of the individual. So I'm the agent, look at me. That is the absolute wrong approach. So one of the reasons our culture is successful, you got, uh, James mentioned it in the open, is this humans over houses concept. And it, put it into a sense, it's stop worrying about the houses. If all we do is take care of the human beings who buy and sell property, if that is our, is our, is our penultimate focus and we don't lose sight of that, everything else, all the selling of the houses will take care of itself. If we take care of the human being in our marketing, in our buyer consultation, in our everything is centered and looked at, not through the lens of myself as a real estate professional, but through the lens of the human being that I serve, you will be fine. Like agents who are like putting, hey, uh, I'm open house at 123 Elm Street, two to four on Sunday. You know who cares about that? No one. Your significant other and your mom, because they want to know where you are. But that doesn't help anyone who is like trying to figure out who they want to hire. If you want to tell them about the open house, promote the house somehow, right? Take some component of the house and have that be the concept because that's what the human who is selling their home, that's what they care about. All of your marketing should be, you have to look at it through the lens of not you. The whole sold it in five days thing, no, you know who cares? Your peers, right? Your peers are like, damn, got another one, great. But so what? That's, that's not the human, right? Talk about how you serve the clients at the highest level. Talk about how your client needed to move. They were paying two mortgages. This was rough for them. Make sure you get their permission before you share any personal information. You know, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. But tell the story of how you served them. Not five days and I got my check, holler at me. That doesn't, that's, that's not, that is not what this industry needs more of. You know, it's on piggybacking on that grant, the ad campaign that should have been run. Um, I'm not ragging. It's just a fact. Like there should have been an ad campaign that NAR had ready. As soon as the verdict came in, there was a $20 million ad campaign hitting the airwaves. And it was literally the humans telling their stories of how they didn't think they could get into a property and their agent managed to somehow get it to happen. Or they, they were stuck in the situation that they weren't going to be able to do on their own. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's the human 
sharing why it's not like use a realtor. No one gives a shit. It's more about why I, why the, 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 the buyer or seller would have never been able to obtain what they had had they not worked with somebody experienced to make that happen. And that's priceless to them. Like that's the campaign. It's, it's, yeah, it's like all about them. It's not propping up, you know, use a realtor over a real estate agent. No one understands that or cares. It's like, how does it meaningful to me? And we would have been countering those airwaves of all this negative press by sharing stories that somebody relates to. Yeah. And forget what NAR could or should have maybe done, but like as an agent who's listening or, or an owner of a brokerage, tell your stories of residential real yeah. estate. Tell the stories of the, go, look, here's a website, little shameless because it's ours, but that's the only place I know to go. Go to humansoverhouses.com. No, for real. It's not even ours. It's just the customer. That's all it is. It's all stories about residential real estate, the big and the small ones, right? The 10-year-old who told her mom, hey, mom, I'm going to go to college and someday I'm going to buy you a house. When no one in her family had ever been to college or had ever purchased their own home, she did both. Those are the stories we need to tell, right? The, the big and the small one. That's, that's just gold. It's gold. You, you, you guys can go look at any media company throughout the, the, the world today, and they're not sitting up touting their brand. They're using their platform to tell the stories of other people. Like news companies are really great at this. They just tell stories all day long. That's what they're doing is telling stories. Politicians are also really great at this during election season, right? It's just story after story after story. If I want to push a new policy, I got to go find six people I can tell their story to get people to relate to the policy. And I think, James, what you just said there is just absolute gold. I hope you're paying attention. And more importantly, I hope you're taking notes and you're going to go implement after this is if you can just tell the stories. I cannot tell you how many freaking marketing uh, real estate companies I step into on a daily basis where are the testimonials? Where are the past clients and sharing their experience? Where are the people getting behind a camera talking about how you helped them achieve homeownership? There are so many marketing lessons that exist in just this one little blurb, um, talking about buyer and seller psychology, talking about what uh, narrative transportation, talking about the hero's two journeys, talking about positioning yourself as a guide. There are just like five or six things I could go off on right now. And I want to respect the podcast because I want you guys to do most of the talking, but <laughs> that's also by the point is to get the content out. Just go do it. Yes. Please remember, like, if you want to attract more sellers, you need to let more sellers tell those stories on your platform. Like, it is that simple, actually. It is no more complex than this. If you want to work with more buyers, get more buyers to share their story on your platform. This isn't about you. And this is a, a, a this is a challenge. I talked about it a little bit on y'all's podcast, but like, not everybody gets this. Not everybody builds this bridge. But in buyer psychology, seller psychology, we can leverage both desire and necessity from an advertising standpoint and there is nothing more power than than human desire we will put off a lot of stuff that we need to do because of something that we desire and then today there's nothing more desirable to the consumer than looking at properties which is why zillow blew up and it's how you can blow up if you're listening to this you don't need to rely on zillow to do this for you um, but then after somebody understands that this thing is available to them the property itself then it's when the agent becomes relevant to the conversation and that's where your brand is important and sharing these stores. And there's just, if you understand the natural progression that people go through to buy a house, you can then understand where to position yourself in a way that is actually relevant. But kind of like 
piggybacking off this into another topic, closing it, I mean, and going into another topic, when you share only your wins and you share only your commission checks and you share only your production and you share only your place, you know, from a, you know, brokerage standpoint, you are not communicating the message that you think you are. You're not attracting the type of client that you think you are. As a matter of fact, you're doing the opposite. And this goes into the last topic before we have to close down. We've already been on longer than I thought we would. So I appreciate you guys. But it's value. You know, we talked about how we change the perception of ourselves in this industry. And I think you guys gave some gold. But how do we then start to, as we change the perception of our industry, communicate our value? Because I think there's going to be a lot of people that like don't know how to do this. That Like this is a new requirement. If you are not communicating your value, you are going to start to disappear in this marketplace. James, how do we communicate our value in a market that, uh, you know, in, in an industry that is changing so that we can continue to do business the way that we've always done business? All right. So two things, and Keith's got some really good key points we'll end on with this because they're just, they're dead on what everybody needs to do. But I'll, I'll throw a few things in front. Um, I like telling the story because I think it's important. And, and by the way, storytelling is a good way to do things because people relate to it. So my dad passed away a few years ago. My mom lived in the mountains. We needed to move her down out of the mountains. So she was closer to us. We moved her to a 55 plus community. It's a very specialized community called Rossmore here in Northern California. The agent, next home agent was working on the deal. And uh, she sent me the disclosure package. And in the email was a, like four or five bullet points of you know, what I needed to know. And I did, by the way, and this is extremely important what I'm going to share. I did what every buyer does. I said, thank you. Appreciate it. Look forward to chatting tomorrow for 15 minutes on our catch up call to, to go through those bullet points. And I filed the email away. About five minutes later, I realized I was like, I was looking at the disclosure package, just kind of glancing through it was 126 pages. So by the way, you're welcome, everybody who's not in California um, for all of the size of your contracts. So anyways, we're going, I'm going, I'm looking at this and I'm like, Jesus, like that's a, it's a big document. I'm not going to read that shit. Like how, I don't have the time for that. So I respond back and I'm like, Hey, by the way, how long did it take you to read that? And she goes six hours. Now there's the problem. So I didn't know it was six hours. I didn't even correlate the fact that somebody did all of that. I just saw the end point. I just saw the bullet points and I was like, oh, okay. Took her five minutes to write it. My brain equated five minutes, not six hours. That right there is part of our fundamental issue. We have to start to figure out how to help people understand that there's not just, it's not just opening a door and writing a contract. We have to explain the complications to it. You know, NER did a great thing. I'm not just promoting NER, but they did a great thing called 179 things that are involved in a transaction. And you can do the same thing on the buy side as well. Start laying out all the things that you do on the buy side of a deal. Start talking to people about the work involved so that they understand the complexity of these things. I think that another comment I'll make, I saw some data that hasn't been out yet, but let's just say the equation of what people think the amount of time it takes an agent to help a buyer is like one fourth of the reality. Meaning buyers think it takes agents a certain amount of time. And then the reality is we all know it's like four times that. So we have to start figuring out how to articulate those things. I'll, I'll set Keith up with this. You got to treat buyers just like a seller. 
you have to look at them that way. And then Keith's got some great points, I think, to, to kind of hammer this home. So yeah, I'll give you I assume we're speaking specifically to a post sort of lawsuit world, right? And how things could change. Or even now for that matter, but just in general. Yeah. Yeah, correct. First, let me start with this because I don't think this gets talked about enough. Like it I know that our industry doesn't always have the best um, perception, but more than 90% of the people either strongly agree or agree that they would use their real estate agent again. Correct. More than 90%. So that means we actually do a very good job at taking care of the human being in the transaction. Less than 20% actually do because it's seven to 10 years later, right? And so as an industry, we need to do a better job at nurturing that relationship over time and providing value beyond the transaction. Sometimes I think this sort of bad um, perception comes from the fact that we sort of don't continue to nurture the relationship over time. It's a fair comment. So that's one component. I think we do a pretty good job as an industry of making people happy because they tell us, uh, you know, you go look at the NAR buyer report, the NAR seller report and other places. The consumer has communicated, I'm happy with you. I would use you again. Now, the changes in the industry that are probably going to be coming down post-lawsuit, right? Thing there, There's one technical change or, or procedural change that's going to be important. And this is James and I's opinion after lots of research and debates and whiskey-fueled uh, arguments. <laughs> um, we've, <laughs> we've gotten to the place where... I feel pretty confident that a buyer broker agreement will be mandatory in every state in the U.S. It's already 15 now, by the way. Yeah. So 15 states used to be 11. Now it's 15. I think it will be every. Um, so you're going to have to sit down and have a conversation with the human being who wants to buy a house and explain to them how you get paid. And just like you sign a listing agreement, you're going to have to sign a buyer agreement that says we're going to work together exclusively. Here's how I get paid. If no one else will pay me, you get to pay me, right? So that conversation is going to have to happen. I would, most states have one, almost all. I would go take a look at step number one, go print your buyer broker agreement. Yes, I said print because I'm 52 years old, but you also need to carry that thing around with you and learn it. Yes, it will change on the other side of this, but at least you have a functional working knowledge. Go find someone in North Carolina or one of those other required states. Talk to them about how they talk to their clients about it. Get comfortable with the buyer broker agreement. That's number one. Number two, your buyer consultation of tomorrow better look way better than and different than your buyer consultation of today. In fact, it should look a lot more like your listing presentation of today. Historically, we do this really uh, great, amazing, service-oriented vision casting exercise with clients. Tell me about your perfect house. You know, oh, I want a big lot. Okay, why? Oh, I got two dogs. Awesome. If it was a uh, perfect house, but with a small lot, but it had a dog park across the street. Would that work? Oh yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that would work. Great. We do a wonderful job at that in general as an industry. What we don't is, which James spoke to in depth is providing massive value, explaining how you're different. Just like when you go on your listing presentation, you've got your things you do that no one else does. Maybe you pay for staging. Maybe you got some secret uh, social media marketing campaign that you do. Whatever your secret sauce is for a listing, you better start to uh, write the recipe for your secret sauce for buyers and make sure that is in your buyer consultation. So that's step number two. Step number three, by the way, step number two will help you regardless. Even if NAR goes to the mattresses and wins the fight, uh, step number two will build your business bigger, faster, stronger anyway. For sure. 
your confidence too. Correct. Step number three is if we do end up having to negotiate with buyers and or sellers for buyers commissions or however this all shakes out in the end, negotiation will become more important than ever. And most of this industry has a beautiful servant's heart and having a beautiful servant's heart normally makes you a below average negotiator (laughs) (laughs) because you don't want to have those hard conversations. You're, you, you feel resistance to it, right? You're, you're not some cutthroat negotiator. (laughs) (laughs) So, but you better get better at it if you're going to now have to negotiate for both sides of the transaction. And so level up your negotiation skills, figure out your beautiful, kind, elegant servant's heart way of being a better negotiator because you're about to do more of it on the other side of these things. And if James and I are completely wrong, Number two and number three will benefit your business immensely regardless. Keith, you just gave what I would describe as one of the most eloquent shit sandwiches I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, we're all born with certain gifts. That happens to be one. Uh, That's funny. (laughs) That was like such a beautiful compliment. Beautiful compliment. Your shit, by the way, and then beautiful, like, ending compliment. Like, that's the perfect shit sandwich. And now you know why I work with them. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I do also agree with their, like, closing there. Like, everything that he just said to you, even if nothing bad happens, will make you better in business. It will make you better at, at, at a lot of things. That was awesome. I appreciate you guys so much. I've had such a good time. You know, obviously we've only just met each other in the last couple of months, but getting to talk with you more and more, getting to be a guest on your show and then you all coming back here and being on mine. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you both. Well, and real quick, just to plug it, I just want to say, I'm not just not plugging our podcast, but you need to go to it only because you get to hear Grant's story and he talks about it in detail and vulnerability. And it's a really good episode. We enjoyed it a lot. I learned about paranormal social stuff as well. So, Dude, write it down, bro. <laughs> I'm just messing around, but genuinely check it out because it's a really good show on Grant. So, I'll, And I'll make sure that, uh, guys, I, that I link that show so that way if you want, you can click over and you can watch it. I do highly recommend it. It was great. There were a lot of really great points uh, on both sides. Um, definitely, definitely. Before we Before we just cut out here, I know we just have like two minutes. The, the show is about helping ordinary people build extraordinary companies. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, I got a lot of really great takeaways from this, but what's the next step? Give me both Keith and James just, okay, step one to go starting to build something extraordinary like you all have done. What should I do if I'm listening to this? I was going to say that I, I think get really, really comfortable in authenticity and vulnerability. I've gotten there. Like people expect me as a CEO to be like this super polished individual. And I, and I can be, but I also was on the phone with brokers where I'm helping them talk about their personal lives and like dealing with emotional problems and their kids. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm also can get down on that level and just be a human and let them know instead, I'm not this guy in some ivory tower. Like I'm just like you, I'll have a beer and I've got the same freaking problems that you do like everybody else authenticity and vulnerability. I think people are craving it. 
And if you can implement that in your life for both your clients or if you're a team lead, whatever it might be, I think you will find that you will attract like-minded people and, and just be happier, honestly. Love it. Uh, I agree with what James said. So, I'll, but so we don't repeat ourselves, I'll give something different. Just start, like, just start. It, it, it's business is never a straight line. Anyway, we sit in the lab with the whiteboard and we draw out all the shit, right. And it's going to, this is going to, and it never looks like that ever. So start like fear has killed way more dreams than failure ever has. So just start it. You'll be wrong. It's fine. Maybe you're start starting thinking about starting social media because you're listening to Grant's pod and he's great at it. And you're like, yeah, fine. Okay. But then you think something like, I hate myself on camera. Well, you sold all those damn houses with that face already. <laughs> <laughs> Put the face out there. Like, what are you so afraid of? Your first video will be trash. Keith and I have a podcast and we are not attractive. So like, you know, who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, back in the day, I sold a lot of houses with this giant bald dome, right? So, but you, you have to start and course correct along the way. Your first video that you do will be terrible. It will be horrible. Post it anyway, because your hundred and first will be way better. And your thousandth and first will be better than 99% of everyone else. So just start. I'll absolutely love it. Solid advice. Solid guys. I appreciate you both again for being on the show. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Of course, my friend. And I appreciate you all that are continuing to listen to the Grant Wise Show. This has been a great one. I know you're going to have a lot of good takeaways, but now it's time to go take action. So I'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grant Wise Show. Please don't forget to subscribe to this channel, leave us a review, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks.